Hello and welcome to Wi-Fi Optional, the weekly tech show where we talk tech so you don't have to. This is episode 15, recorded Monday, February 29th, leap year 2016. I'm Rakshana, and as always, I have uh, Jason with me, and we're doing take two because uh, our first uh, hangout session uh, completely puked on us and, and went to drop it. Yeah, it didn't uh, didn't work out the greatest, and uh, but that's what we have an extra day in the year for, so we can try things over again. Right, exactly. And um, without further ado, if I can unlock my tablet here, um, I should probably uh, ping the news. Let me see. Oh, uh, wrong button there. There we go. Dive, 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 dive. Uh, the FFA, the Federal Aviation Administration, needs urgent help to protect its systems from looming cyber threats, according to a federal contracting documents. Uh, quote, due to evolving and potential cyber events, the FFA requires critical and immediate cybersecurity methodology support to protect the FFA's infrastructure from malicious activities, uh, states a uh, a pre-solicited notice. Uh, the FFA spokesman stressed to NextGov that the notice refers to potential cyber incidents. The agency is not currently experiencing malicious cyber incidents at this point. Um, and this all comes on the heels of a uh, passenger by the name of Chris Roberts, uh, who supposedly last spring um, told authorities that he was able to take over um, some of the plane's um, controls um, by hacking into the in-flight entertainment system. Um, and this is all according to an FBI affidavit. Um, since we already talked about this again, we'll talk about it the second time. But uh, <laughs> he, uh, we, we both we both said, you know, there, there's, there's varying reports whether or not um, he actually physically controlled the plane. But we do know that he was able to get in and see where the controls and where the uh, you know, instrumentation of the plane existed in the system. Um, so even so, even if he didn't move it, it's still a scary thing to think that someone's able to, you know, get past the walled garden of, you know, watching, you know, um, little knee or watching Nemo on the on the head unit to you know deciding whether the plane's going to crash or not. And that's the thing. A lot of the airplanes are now starting to get rid of the head units because it's uh, you know less equipment to maintain, uh, quite a bit uh, of reduction in in weight because you don't have your your screens anymore. You don't have to have any of that infrastructure. They just put an onboard server and then you know you have uh, onboard Wi-Fi connected to the server and then you can stream all your media. So essentially, now you have a, 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 a LAN local network. Uh, but the scary part in, in this article is uh, Chris Roberts claims that the onboard avionics and the entertainment center, entertainment system, actually share some kind of cabling or router, some kind of hardware, some kind of infrastructure. Um, and to think that uh, you know you could have something like the avionics, which ideally you want separated from everything else, um, was combined together is is actually a, a scary thought like you said because a lot of airplanes are no longer um you know cabled in a lot of them fly by wire so you're sending data you're sending digital signals to all these little motors and servos and and these hydraulic pumps to to, to move the avionics and to to even think that a, a regular passenger could go in there and, and see what's in there at least um, and Chris at least had the 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 knowledge and the professionalism to to say, oh hey, I saw something. I'm not going to mess with it. But what if it's fell into the wrong hands or somebody that really didn't know what they were doing, but they were just excited that they were able to see all this and just started pushing buttons? It's a scary thought. Yeah, six words: fly by wire terror attacks. It's just not 
not something you want to hear. So definitely right, a scary, exactly. scary thing uh, that uh, needs some more looking into. Next story, Apple said to be working on unhackable iPhone. Uh, Apple engineers are working on new security measures that would prevent an iPhone from being hacked uh, using the methods at the heart of the company's fight with the U.S. government. The New York Times reported it wasn't immediately apparent when such new measures will be made available to consumers. Earlier the month, a federal judge granted requests by the FBI to force Apple to disable the auto race function that kicks in when too many erroneous lock screen passcodes are entered into the phone. Uh, the FBI hopes the phone's contents will reveal more about the terrorist activities leading up to the December massacre in San Bernardino, uh, California. This is, uh, I think this is kind of the next step. And I know, Jason, you're kind of the, the resident iPhone um, expert, but this kind of circumvents what the, 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 the legal side of what Apple's going through. So the reason the government's doing all this or, or, or trying to force Apple to do all this is because there is the mechanism albeit the mechanism may not be the best one out there because it, it creates a master key or, or a master backdoor, but there, the fact of the matter is there is a mechanism. But yeah, I think that's... Go ahead. It's kind of what their play is here is is the kind of, you know, take it off of their... take the ball out of their court, so to say, and, and make it so it's something that they, you know, they couldn't do, like you said. Not not that not that they, they don't want to, but they physically can't. And I think, you know... it. It's a scary. Uh, it's it's kind of a it's, it's an interesting way to think about it is you know Apple and 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 hacking and and things like that. It's always been a reverse or a cat and mouse game with with jailbreaking and the iPhones and and now you're almost having this cat and mouse game the other way of Apple trying to trying to wash their hands of, of having to deal with situations like this and and making it so that you know things can't happen and and we talked about it last week. You know as as horrible as all this stuff is, you know it's it's a really slippery slope to go down. Um, and I just, it's it's kind of scary that Apple would, almost to me, it's scary that Apple wouldn't have to do something like this to to you know, not not hold themselves accountable for for having to you know physically break into a phone for for a case like this. But it's, I want to see how they're gonna how they're gonna do that. I mean, are they gonna in, encrypt this phone in in such a way where the encryption key exists within the device, and then once the device is gone. It's gone. There's no real way of getting. I don't know how they're going to do it. I've heard reports, and and that's the way it goes now. Is that everything that you do is the the key is kind of stored by Apple. Um, whereas if they could set it up where like the first time you set up your iPhone, you set up like a key. You know, you set up you you put in a password, and it creates a a hash of you know some sort of digit, and that's your key. So you could save that in your safe. You could you know do something with it. But then Apple has no. It's on the onus is on the on the person that's using the phone instead of you know Apple to actually have the key to that. So I think that's what would be it'd be more of a user user controlled situation. So essentially, they're they're moving the. This is a bad way of putting it, but they're they're kind of moving the liability, like you said, from from their end to the consumer's end, which I I, I guess yes, it does remove them from the liability portion of it, so to speak. But at the same time, I can also see it being somewhat of a, a, a disruptive habit where some some user is going to lock their phone or, or something along those lines. And now it's basically you're done. You don't have your key. There's no way Apple's going to find it. And that's the that's the one thing, again, so that people have said is that you lose that recam, bring it into an Apple store and have your phone you know, unlocked. If you can prove it's yours, it's, it's just it's exactly. brick. So, right. 
Uh, third story is uh, a little lighter note. Uh, Facebook uh, gives us one more way to uh, push each other's buttons. Uh, Facebook on Wednesday rolled out a new set of options for its 1.5 billion monthly users uh, to use when responding to posts on their news feed. The six reactions, as Facebook has uh, termed them, will allow users to make uh, more uh, nuanced responses to posts rather than simply clicking on a like button or unliking that post. Uh, the additional options are love, haha, wow, sad, and angry. Uh, which users scroll uh, over the standard like button, the the new emojis pop up. Um, so this is interesting. We've been talking about this has been a story for years and years now of, of a dislike button or some some sort of that or some way of, of replicating that and now apparently they went way overboard and added you know, six more buttons. Well, I think I I see this as more than what it uh, what what this article is actually showing. I see this a huge uh, mechanism for Facebook to data mine. So now all of a sudden, I say I I'm, I'm you know I love this article. Oh, okay, you love that. Well, let me see if I can send you targeted ads. Um, I, it's Facebook has always been a game of of metadata, and then you know. We all know there's really nothing on the internet that's actually free. You're getting something from Facebook. Facebook's going to obviously get something back from you. Uh, but so this, I see the. Go ahead. I was going to say, in the same sense, it's it's there's still there's still enough ambiguity to what they actually mean or what you're what you're actually meaning by clicking love or wow or haha. You know what I mean? Like it that it's not. It, you're right. It's more information. More information always leads to more data mining, which always leads to more. You know placed advertisements and everything but it's still there's still up for interpretation what you know when you love something or you know wow is wow mean like you're amazed by it or wow like sarcastic like you can't right. you know exactly. you can't believe something happened right. so it, it there's there's still interpretation but yeah I, I, you're correct it's just another way for them to be you know uh, to get more analytics on on what we do and what we like and what we post yep exactly that's that's what i see but i i do um they kind of went uh uh, what's the best way of putting it? Um, you know, we're we're all familiar with the like button and, and how it looks. They kind of actually streamlined things a little bit, and they kind of went very uh, a, a cartoony with this one. Um, so I don't I noticed the update was quite different when I saw it too, and and uh, it's it's just really interesting when you think about it compared to other social media. Everything else has a heart. You know, a heart hat. You have a heart button in in Twitter, and you have you know everything else in you know star buttons and other social media or social. Uh, uh, platforms, so it's just interesting that they're the first one to actually have multiple, um, you know, like or or uh, or some kind of reaction button, I guess you could call it. So, so basically now, you know, when you go to Wi-Fi Optional's Facebook page, make sure to love, haha, wow, sad or angry, so you can you can let us know how you how you feel. Try not uh, to be next angry. GoPro shells out one hundred and five million dollars for two video editing startups. Uh, story out of Forbes. Um, on Monday, uh, which is actually today, GoPro CEO uh, Nicholas Woodman uh, tried to reverse the tide by announcing that his company has made strategic acquisitions to address one of its product's largest problems, uh, video editing. GoPro's founder told Forbes that his company paid $105 million in cash and stock to buy the two companies behind Replay and Splice video editing applications that allow users to cut and publish footage on their mobile phones. Video editing has been a big deal and a challenge, not just for GoPro, but for every company involved in the business. It's not an easy developmental hurdle, and there have been constraints in mobile, uh, quote unquote, he said to Forbes. So this, uh, 
we talked about this a couple of weeks ago about how uh, GoPro was, uh, they were kind of losing their edge out in the market. So uh, I wonder if this is another one of those things where they go, okay, we need to do something and, and maybe this is going to well, pick up their sales. And Well, this, this really hits home to me for two reasons. One is I have a hard drive full of GoPro videos that have never been touched. <laughs> um, two is we both know that with anything, you know, gathering content is one thing. Putting it together in a form that's actually usable to spit out to somebody is a completely another thing. Yeah, and that's, through, that's the part that takes the longest. Exactly. And that's the hardest. That's the biggest part. And and one of my favorite quotes I heard, I can't remember who actually said it recently, but uh, it was, don't let perfection get in the way of good enough. And I think that's where a lot of us fail is you, you, you want to make something so good that you don't finish it instead of just finishing it because it's good enough and getting it out there. And I think that this is a really, a, is, as much money as it sounds, it's a really smart move GoPro. If you can make something where you just, you take a bunch of videos, you go on a ski trip and you're able to dump it in their app and make a really simple edit and really easy. I mean, their stuff's pretty easy now, but even easier than that and more high quality, I think that's a real win for them. Um, you know, and make that proprietary where only you can use that with their, you know, read some meta tags off the video or something where it only works with their videos. That'd be pretty intense. And it sounds like this, uh, it's, it's, you, you can actually do it through your mobile phone. So that's exactly the, the, the biggest thing, you know, sure. They can come up with all kinds of video editing software and then, you know, take your GoPro, bring it to your computer, but that's. I think that's where the the disconnect is. Where all these people they capture all this footage. Well, now you got to bring your camera and now you got to plug it in. Now you got to pull the 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 data, the the videos out. Then you got to sort through. Well, you don't have to do that. You can do it right on your phone, and then it actually you know you're going to post more. You're going to actually use it. So and that's what right they've been. That's where they've been going too. They make it easier to just grab videos off of the camera when you're hooked to Wi-Fi because that's usually how you control it nowadays, anyways. And then right. you know, post videos, post um, things. And now they even have the thing with Periscope we talked about a few weeks ago, where you can live live stream from it. So I think that's the way to go is to eliminate the scary what we all have here desktop, laptop, computer scenario. We had to plug it in and edit it, where you can just you know do a couple swipes and clicks on your phone and you know add a add a nor or a nor filter to it, you know, like you would on Instagram or whatever, <laughs> and, and and you know and make it make it look pretty and and uh go from there i think that's kind of the way to go is just to make it simple easy and on mobile because that's where everything's kind of going now so that's where it is um last article we promised the last one we're going five this week just try something I, lo different. I love this story Yes, it's a great story. Um, so we've talked about the past, uh, the uh, cars and how everything is going with mobile. And this is a story about Google's uh, self-driving uh, little experiment they have going on. Um, they have their first reported crash caused by a Google car. Um, so they say uh, Google has prided itself in the fact that self-driving car fleet has never been responsible for any of its crashes. They've always been caused by another uh, decidedly more human force. Uh, but that may have just changed. According to the California DMV filing, one of Google's self-driving Lexus SUVs drove into the side of a bus at very low speeds. Uh, now, we were talking about this before the show, and, and we both have looked into this article because we both found it very interesting. Uh, but they uh, apparently what happened is the Google car was trying to avoid um, some sandbags on the side of the road and decided to veer over into the lane to its left, uh, which it was not occupied, but there was a bus approaching from behind. And apparently the Google car um, in its sensing said, hey, this bus will see me merging and not try to pass. Well, the bus tried passing and the, the car basically merged into the side of the bus. The bus is I. That's exactly. Exactly. It's just 
should drop the mic and stop it there. But <laughs> um, no, I mean, it just comes down to we were talking about this too before the show, of course, is that, you know, it comes down to the fact of, of, a computer can't think like a human as much as as many scenarios and as many algorithms you can stick into it it's still not going to you know predict what somebody's going to do like you know what would have the human in the car looked back and seen the reverse in the rearview mirror and saw this you know crazy bus driver with flames coming out of his ears he was so mad you know trying to go around him and not you know turned or did the car just you know play the odds and 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 fail at this point in time you know and there's there's another thing that when you when you mentioned the the crazy bus driver i, I Another thing came to mind. Was there some kind of a some kind of a, a a bias because these vehicles are very very clearly marked? Um, you know, it says Google self driving car all over. So you know, was there some kind of curiosity in the that that played into this or or I mean, who really knows? And on the whole, if if you if you take the whole self driving car project as as a whole, I think this is the only. Um, accident that they've actually reported that was deemed the 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 cause of the car, but and, and I think overall it's been going extremely well. I got the chance to actually sit in one of these, and it's uh, it's 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 very scary. Uh, I was at CES and they put you in the car. I mean, it's a closed track, so you can't really do anything. But they accelerate the car to about twenty miles an hour, and the the car basically goes right into a a, a big barricade, and they tell you not to touch anything. Uh, but your impulse is to, to slam on the brakes, like don't touch the steering, don't touch the brakes. The car is going to stop. But it's a it's an extremely weird feeling. But those things are very, very, very precise. And uh, there's a screen that tells you these sensors measure uh, inputs at several thousand times a second. It's just ridiculously crazy. And I think you hit it on the head. I think it, it, my guess is if I was to put myself in the case as bus driver, I'd see this Google self-driving car and think, hey, I can go around it because it's going to sense me and not, you know, not turn in my lane. You almost feel safer than you would with another driver. And I'm guessing that's probably what happened. And then the car just, it was a perfect storm. <laughs> Long story short of what happened, I think. And just, you know, but it, the one thing I've heard and all the discussions I've, I've, I've seen on this and, and articles I've read is, this this is the this is the the kind of the curve that we're gonna have to go when it comes to self driving cars and self driving vehicles and all this kind of stuff is that you are gonna have to accept that there are gonna be accidents. You know what I mean? It's probably gonna be a lot less rate than there are now with human drivers, but there's still gonna be accidents. There's no way to stop that. It's a perfect system you have. Right. So just accepting these and and seeing that this was a fender bender at 15 miles an hour. You know that. It, there was nothing really harmed. I, I think that's the the biggest thing to take from it, and just kind of learn. And, and maybe this is a good way to kind of break into and make people used to that the, these things can happen. And I think if my if the article is right, or not the article, if my memory is right, um, the bus was going at about fifteen miles an hour, and the Google car was going less than two. It says, um, and there were some sensors that were broken. Um, but uh, the other surprising thing that I found was that there was a, I, I think there was an actual driver in the vehicle at the time, but that person did not um, intervene. So maybe that was another part of the test saying, hey, well, how is this thing going to react? Okay, I can see it's going to, so. Or if he didn't, he, he didn't intervene, maybe he didn't think the bus was going to do that either. So maybe right. the Google exactly. car's thinking was sound. So right. I guess we'll find out. Which leads us to the, uh, again, the big elephant in the room. Yes. Back to Apple again. <laughs> yeah. So um, Judge backs Apple in fight with government in separate iPhone case. So it sounds like this, uh, we talked about this 
the, the Apple and, and the uh, them taking the FBI taking Apple to court and wanting to unlock the phone. So it was later found out uh, within, within the last week that this was actually not the first time this has happened. This is uh, probably the 13th or 14th time that they've actually taken uh, the, uh, the government has actually taken Apple to court wanting to unlock certain phones. So, um, you know, they, they, all this time, everything's kind of been, I don't want to say under the rugs, but it hasn't really been publicized. So people didn't know about it, except for this, the, the San Bernardino case where they actually said, we need to take a stand on it. We're going to make, you know, we're going to make it public. We're going to say, this is what we're going to do. But unknown to a lot of us, this issue has actually been going on for quite a while. Uh, and some kind of a decisive factor where the judge actually said Apple does not have to unlock um, the phone. Not the San Bernardino case, but this is a different case that the FBI uh, brought to a judge. Yeah, it just it sets a precedent. And and like you said, I think this has probably happened more than we think. It's just that, like you said, the, the San Bernardino case was just kind of a platform for Apple to kind of stand up and be like, okay, everybody knows about this. They can relate to it. This is why we don't want to do it kind of thing. Um, and the, the really interesting thing, um, is that as more and more information comes out, you've heard of all these little police departments around the country from New York to, you know, podunk little, you know, sheriff department in the middle of Ohio, um, contacting Apple and asking them to, to do things like this. And I guess this is a common practice that we don't, we don't hear about as much. So, um, you know, it, like it says in the article, this is just going to lead to higher profile cases. This is not like the end all the be all decision on this. It's just kind of a stepping stone, but it's good to see that maybe the courts are, are a little bit on the side of, of not going insanely overboard with this kind of stuff, but it just, I don't know. There's a long road ahead yet. Yeah. And then this, this doesn't really end it here either. Like you said, I mean, they, they certainly can take it to a higher court and then see if, uh, you know what they decide, uh, but like you said, we're we're all going. Everything is going in the form of of technology and electronics and, and digital media. Uh, we've, I I think, several years back, uh, we started thinking about you know what would happen if, uh, you know, well, you have your own computer, but you're working for a company, and then you have that company's email. Well, yes, you own the computer, but who owns the email? You know, does a company own the email or, or do you own the email? You know, that's where this all started. You know, it, it, it all comes down to intellectual property. Who owns the, that intellectual property versus the physical property? And uh, we started there and then now, you know, we've come down to, to phones because most of our lives, like we talked about, you know, last week are now embedded in, in our phones. Um, so it's it's interesting. It, it definitely will be in, it, an interesting time ahead to see where this you know, this lawsuit is going to go, there's going to be some kind of a deciding factor. Okay, where do we draw the line? You know, and that's, that's going to be very interesting to find out. And that's certainly going to change the, uh, the, uh, the playing field. Yeah. And the, the last thing I have to mention is, is I, in another article I read is that, uh, I wish I had these articles to cite and be more prepared, but um, they they were talking about how this could possibly lead into, you know, you said you have the, the digital world and you have the physical world and how, laws are kind of trying to play out in the digital world the problem is 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 if we let things like this this would happen in the digital world 
we could see backlash into the physical world where the laws kind of come back where, you know, they have rights just to come into your house. And do you know what I mean? It's, 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 it's a, it's a scary door to open, even though we think it's all, oh, it's just a phone or it's just a computer. It's, you know, you're opening a very big door other than just the digital world. So I guess that's another thing to think about. Right. And then uh, does everybody who realizes that, you know, we're going to the, the people that make the laws, do they do they realize that? I mean, do they are they well versed in technology or is it is are we are we looking at a law that was written in, you know, 1980 or 1970 and then going, oh, yeah, this we can still apply that law. Well, you know, guess what? Things have changed since then. And do we need to go in and do we need to revise that? And and our lawsuits like this going to be the opening force to changing some of those laws saying oh hey we need to probably revamp not all the laws but you know certain intellectual property rights laws that say oh this is how it's going to be yeah like like we've said now for the last three or two or three weeks this is this will be a story we'll have to watch for uh, a very 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 long time yeah it's it's the end is not here yet and it's going to be a very, Not even close. Uh, very colorful path. Yep. Um, Jason, I do apologize. I, I don't have a stopwatch, but I think we're at uh, right about our Seven, time, right? 74 minutes. 74. 74 minutes. All right. <laughs> now no, we're about 25. We're on track, so maybe we should do everybody a favor and stop jabbering and, and get out of here. All right. Um, thank you to Purple Planet for providing all of the music that we had. Uh, don't forget to check them out, purple-planet.com. And um, I think I pressed the wrong intro. But, um, very special thank you to you for listening to our show. Uh, don't forget to subscribe. It should be right down there. You can also find us on iTunes for the audio-only version. You can also find the audio-only version on our website, wifioptional.com. As always, contact us via our website, uh, wifi.wifioptional.com. Uh, Facebook and Twitter, we're all Wi-Fi optional. Drop us a line, info at wifioptional.com. And from everybody here, if I can find the right audio. Uh, there we go. That's the right audio. It's like riding a bike. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next week. See you next week. Thank you, everybody.